We have two readings this morning. The first one is from an Old Testament book, Ezekiel, and that's Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 to 16. Today's readings are such um, encouraging and wonderfully comforting words from our Father God, so I hope that you enjoy reading them with me. Ezekiel 34, starting at verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. We're now going to read from Luke chapter 15. Starting at chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents." And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, 
These many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command and you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Thanks for that reading, Sonia. Big warm welcome to everyone here today. My name is Stephen, one of the pastors of the church, uh, along with Ben, who was sitting up on the stage with me not too long ago. Um, if this is your first time here, a big welcome to you. Uh, I know that there's some uh, new faces I haven't seen yet, uh, and some new old faces that I haven't seen for a little while, so uh, great to have you along as well. A couple of quick announcements before we begin. Firstly, um, as we read that passage, you may notice that it, it's, there's quite a different tone to it compared to what we've been hearing over the last few weeks. So uh, just for everyone here and even online, it's okay to smile, it's okay to laugh, it's okay to be joyous as we read through this passage again. So if I see that on your faces, that really encourages me as a preacher. Just FYI, I can see everyone. Um, secondly, if you've downloaded the bulletin from our church website um, and you're used to taking notes on that, just note that point 3A, I'm going to be spending a lot more time on that uh, compared to what is allotted there in terms of space. And unlike normal, I usually have some PowerPoints to go along and some slides to go along with the sermon. Today I don't. I think today is a great day in some ways to hear what Jesus is saying, to really concentrate and focus on that. So to that end, let me pray. and Let me ask God to bless us as we read this word. Our Father in heaven, this is a very special part of your word. For some of us here, it may be a very familiar part. But we pray now that as we come to this meal, this bread that you offer to us today, that you would refresh us again. Please take away those curtains, those blinders from our eyes of familiarity. Help us to see this passage with fresh eyes. To see the wonder and the weight and the depth that is waiting for us as we look through this word. We thank you that you have given this word to us. So I pray that you'll help us to hear this clearly. I pray that you'll help me to speak and preach from this clearly. For we ask these things for our joy in your Son, in, him, in whose name we pray. Amen. Over the past few months in our church, as we've gone through the Gospel of Luke, you may have noticed one clear thing as we've gone through. Jesus has been saying some very difficult and some very challenging things. If you have your Bibles there with you, please keep them open to Luke 15. We'll be reading through especially the prodigal son story a, fair, uh, a bit more a bit later. But I want you to keep your finger there, and I want you to turn in your Bibles with me back to chapter 9, where, we, where this began, this series began in ch uh, chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus says this in chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels." We began this series on those words. Those are hard and challenging words for us to reflect upon. How about chapter 12, verse 40? Chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus says, You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Chapter 12, verse 51, some even further challenging words. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. Chapter 13, verse 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. It seems as over the weeks we've been hearing Jesus speak, he just keeps making it harder and harder to follow him. And then these words from last week. Chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. 
Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. After those words last week, it seemed like a lot of my conversations in the week were filled with difficult and challenging words, telling people and confronting them that they needed to renounce all. Verse 30, chapter 14, verse 33, Jesus again saying, So therefore anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Over the past few weeks, many of the conversations about the sermons we've heard, either from myself or from Ben, have concluded with similar thoughts each time. Jesus has been saying some very hard and some very challenging things about following him. So challenging that at a few points, it almost feels like it's impossible to do that. That the only way you could expect to do that, if you, if you are somehow some sort of spiritual athlete, you know, that you could only be a spiritual athlete in order to clear the high bar that Jesus is setting. John Piper, he could do it. Don Carson, he could probably do it. Me? <laughs> no, I can't do it. I'm not like that. So it comes as a bit of a shock, or it should come as a shock, as we read what happens in verse 1. There are heaps and shocks, uh, surprises, and turns throughout this chapter, but the very first one comes in verse 1. Have a look in your Bibles with me. Chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, to hear Jesus. Look at the sort of people that Jesus is getting the attention of. Tax collectors and sinners. Now tax collectors were some of the most loathed people in all the society at that time. They willingly hide themselves out. They were Israelites who willingly hide themselves out to collect taxes on behalf of Rome. So they were considered as traitors and betraying the people of Israel. They also took more taxes than required so that they could skim the difference for themselves. So they were considered greedy. And they did all of this with Roman soldiers standing by their side, ready to protect these uh, tax collectors. So they were seen as thugs. Traitorous, greedy, betraying thugs. Not spiritual athletes. And yet, remember from what we heard last week, it seems like these people looked like they were counting the cost of following Jesus and they believed that Jesus was worth it. And so they were drawn to him. I have read this passage so often in my Christian life, but now having gone into detail in the Gospel of Luke over the past few weeks, this little detail here in verse 1 is nothing short of amazing. It is remarkable that tax collectors and fellow sinners were coming to Jesus. They were drawn to him because it looks likely that they were counting the cost of following him and they were renouncing their sinful ways. They were saying no to their old lives. It was costing tax collectors their livelihood, but being near Jesus made it worth it. And so they have this crowd. There is this party. There is this dinner that is going on, but not everyone looking at it is happy. So verse 2, we read, of the spiritual athletes of the day, the Pharisees, who were grumbling that Jesus would receive sinners and eat with them. Sharing a meal was more than just about food and friendship. It was a way of connecting. It was a way of growing relationship, of receiving and, uh, with uh, each other. The Pharisees looked on and grumbled. Can you imagine Jesus with these sorts of people? Unbelievable. So hearing the grumbles, Jesus tells them a parable. Notice in verse 3, parable singular, even though there are three stories being told. I think uh, Jesus is highlighting here that he's, he, the point he is making is made by all three stories being told together as one. Now the first two stories are very deliberately told. I, I hope you noticed that as we read out the passage before. There is a very clear structure to both of them, a very echoed structure in both. Uh, two halves to each of these stories as well. So there's two stories with two halves to each of the stories. Remember, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees who are grumbling that Jesus is mixing with filthy sinners. And so he starts off each story in a way that invites these grumbling Pharisees to agree with him. He's inviting them to say, yes, okay, I would do that, I'm with you. So have a think about the first one, the lost sheep. Now, if you had 100 sheep and one went missing, yes, making sure the 99 were safe, 
you would go off to look for that lost sheep. A missing sheep is a relatively expensive loss, so of course some effort would go into that search. Jesus asked the question, what man of you would go after that one that was lost? And the answer is, of course we would. Or what about a woman? If she had 10 silver coins, a drachma, which is equivalent to 10 days wages, right? She loses one of those coins in the dirt floor of her home. She is not going to go, ah, well, live and let loss. No, she is going to search for that. And so Jesus asked, what woman would not light a lamp and search diligently for the coin until she found it? And of course the answer is, all of us would do that. So they are agreeing with Jesus that they would do these things. But then, in both stories, there's a twist. When the shepherd finds that sheep, he rejoices to find it. Yes, sure, we would all do that. But then he calls his friends and neighbours over for a party to celebrate that he has found this lost sheep. When the woman finds that lost, lost coin, she, she rejoices. Yes, sure, we would all do that. But then... She calls her friends and her neighbours over for a party to celebrate the lost coin that was found. None of us would do that. A few years ago, uh, my daughter, Janessa, she has this uh, little stuffed dog. Uh, it's, her, it's, it's a dog that she takes to bed every night, and she was taking to bed every single night. It's one of those toys that as a kid, you know that you have to have it, otherwise you can't sleep. And it was her little woo-woo, her little doggy. And then one night, she misplaced it. And so she came out of bed, and she was like, you know, my dog's gone, where is it? And so we're like, all right, we, we started searching the house. We couldn't find it. And she's getting more anxious, and she's getting more worked up. She can't go to sleep without her little stuffed dog. I had a leaders meeting that night with clay leaders and Sunday wife leaders, and then I asked them, hey, can, can you guys help me look for this? You know, and they, we looked in the office, we looked in the lounge room, we looked in the kitchen, people were looking in the fridge, just in case, and we couldn't find it. And of course my daughter just could not sleep. Up until like 10 o'clock that night, I think it was a record. She was just so worked up, so anxious that she didn't have her little dog, that she couldn't sleep with it. And of course, when she's anxious like that, mummy and dad are anxious too because we know that she's staying up and that's just really stressful. And the next day I found it inside her dollhouse, the only place we didn't look. Oh my gosh, yes, there was relief. Yes, there was joy when we found it. But you know what we didn't do? I didn't set up a Facebook event inviting people over to a party to celebrate that we had found it. I didn't text the leaders to go, we found it, please come over, we're going to throw a massive barbecue to celebrate that we found this little toy dog. No, we looked at Janessa and said, do not do that again. Because if you lose it again, it's gone. Seems a bit over the top, doesn't it? Isn't it just one sheep, after all? Isn't it just one coin, after all? And then in the final verse of each story, Jesus gives the punchline. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. More joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You get what's going on here? The Pharisees were grumbling that Jesus was dining and enjoying time with the wrong sort of people. Weren't they just tax collectors and sinners after all? But these were people who were counting the cost of following Jesus. They were being drawn to him. They were repenting. See, if there was a news report about that event of Jesus eating with these tax collectors and sinners, I don't think it would rate very highly. It would certainly not be front page news. If anything... If you picked up the, a hard copy newspaper, it would be a little quirky sto lifestyle story you know, on page 56 in the lifestyle section, hidden way at the back of the newspaper. But the newsfeed in heaven is very different to the newsfeed on earth. In heaven, the headlines are flashing. Another tax collector has repented. And the whole of heaven erupts in celebration. A chorus of voices, too numerous to count, floods the air of heaven. Joyous shouts and celebration and rejoicing. 
Another sinner has turned away from their sins and turned to trust Jesus. And this miracle of faith that God has worked calls for the loudest roars of joy. It is the miracle that God has worked, as the prophet Ezekiel, centuries before Jesus, had said that we read earlier, that God was going to be the one who would go and search for his lost sheep. And when God did this, and when that lost sheep was found, oh, the joy, the joy of repentance. Can you imagine? Unbelievable. But the Pharisees don't get it. They don't understand. Why not? So here is where Jesus then goes into the third story. And he gives us insight into what is going on in their hearts. So the story of the prodigal son, one of Jesus' most well-known and often told stories, referenced, still referenced in our world today. I was being surprised. I was surprised the other day I was watching Iron Man 3, and the idea of the prodigal son gets referenced there. Even for Christians familiar with the story, it can often mean that we gloss over it. We, we just quickly read over the story. So let's take a deep breath, and with our Bibles open, let's Jesus, let Jesus wow us again with this story. The first two stories uh, have a particular structure and pattern. They echo each other. Here in this story, Jesus breaks that because he goes into a much more detailed and richer parable. We're told of a man who has two sons, right? The youngest son comes to his father with a special request. If you got your Bibles there, turn me to chapter 15, verse 11, and we're going to read through the story again. Chapter 11. He said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So the younger son here comes up to his father and says, give me the share of property that is coming to me. To say that is basically the younger son saying, give me my inheritance. Now usually uh, the elder son was given two-thirds of the inheritance and the younger son would have one-third of the inheritance. And like most inheritances these days, the way in which you receive that inheritance is when the giver of the estate dies. So pay close attention to what the son is asking. He's not just asking for money. He is saying to his father, let me treat you as dead. I want to head off and enjoy now what should be coming to me later. Another preacher on this passage says of this younger boy, he had already left home before he had left home. He was already gone. He was already out of there. He was presently physically there, but his heart and his mind, they were already far away. And so he wanted his father to just make that official. So his request is also deeply shameful. Not only am I rejecting you, not only am I asking for money, not only am I treating you dead, but this is a thoroughly disrespectful request. Shameful. Now we're not told what the father says in response, we're just told that he divides up the property. He would have had to have divided the property sold it, and then given his, the money of that to his son. And then off the younger son goes. The, prodigal, the word prodigal means wasteful, extravagant, someone who spends what they have recklessly. Now, this fits the description of the younger son perfectly. Have a look at verse 13. Chapter 15, verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So cashed up, the boy heads off into a far country and he spends it all. No delight is withheld from his eyes. No pleasure is beyond his reach. Soon enough, the cash dries up and so does the water and the food of that country. 
in desperation, he hires himself out to one of the local Gentile farmers, a pig farmer. Jews did not keep pigs. They were unclean and dirty. So the idea that this boy would go and tend and feed pigs would have just been disgusting in an Israelite's mind. At this point, the boy has hit rock bottom. He's literally got nothing. The pods he's feeding the pigs is better than the air that he has to eat for lunch. When you're jealous of the dinner you're feeding the pigs, you know things can't get much worse. So it's at this point the story takes another turn. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger? I will, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Notice in verse 17 we read that he came to himself. At rock bottom, he has the moment of insight. He, he remembers, he's got a moment of clarity. He remembers that things at home are nothing like his present situation. Even at home, his servants, his dad's servants, his dad's slaves have more bread than he has at the present. So what is he doing sitting here being jealous of what the pigs are eating? So in verses 18 and 19, he knows that he just can't walk back home. He just can't waltz home and say, hi, dad, how are you going? And be expected to be welcomed back. He knows he has to come back and beg for forgiveness. But then after that, he's only got a small hope. I think he's got, think about it, he's got two options at the moment in face before him. He can stay where he is and starve to death with the pigs, or he can go home. Now, if he goes home, I think there are two outcomes that he's probably expecting. One, his dad beats him to death. Such a disrespectful boy. What, can, what else should he expect? Or two, hope, maybe beyond hope, that his dad will beat him, but then keep him alive, and then maybe put him in as a, maybe take him back as a slave. Not a son, a slave. So those options there with the different outcomes, die with the pigs, die getting beaten up by dad, or maybe just get beaten and hopefully become one of his slaves. So that's the route, the option that he takes. So off he goes back home. Now can you imagine that long and lonely walk home? The fancy clothes, most likely sold for food, replaced with the bare essentials just to cover himself. He's most likely dropped a lot of weight because he's been starving for so long. His hair is a mess, he's dirty, he hasn't showered in days, and he smells like pigs. And with every step he takes, he's rehearsing again and again what he wants to say to his dad. And maybe he's even having second thoughts. Maybe his dad will just beat him up for his disrespect. My goodness, how disrespectful was he? Is, is there any way that he'll take him back? Is there any way that I'll be taken? You know, but with each step driven by hunger, he knows that his only hope is to return home and beg for forgiveness. And then we read that, that while the boy was a long way off, his father saw him. How many times? Had the father been sitting there looking out over the horizon, waiting to see the figure of his son returning? How would he respond? Would he rightly be angry and justfully judgmental and come down hard on him and rage at his son severely? The young boy deserved it. Then Jesus surprises us again. Verse 20. And the boy arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father saw him and felt compassion. Whatever just anger and judgment he had in his heart toward his son just melted away. As he saw the figure walking closer and closer, his heart filled with something new, compassion. He recognized his son through the gauntness of his appearance, through the shaggy hair, the dirty look, and his heart 
was filled with love. And then notice that we're told his father runs to his son. Dignified men do not run. They walk. They are composed. They have their emotions in check, but not this father. This father runs to his son, throwing all cultural caution out of the window. He sprints to his boy and they embrace. The words kissed him is literally, literally means he fell on his neck. The father races to his son, he sprints to his son, he grabs him, he holds him tightly, and he showers his boy with kisses and sobbing tears of joy on his son's neck. Forgiveness. Can you imagine? The boy is probably stunned. He falters, and then he remembers his rehearsed speech. Verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But before the boy can even finish, his father interrupts him. Verse 22, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and the shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is Found, and they began to celebrate the robe to replace the dirty rags, the ring, the family ring to signify a welcome back into a fam- the family as son, not as a slave, as a son, and a replacement shoes, even though the last pair of shoes were used to run away from home. Then the father's joy overflows even more. He celebrates. He invites the whole neighborhood to come. He brings out the fattened calf, a feast for everyone to enjoy. And the young boy was starving, but now his stomach is going to be fuller than he has ever remembered. And his heart will be filled with thanksgiving. His father's heart is rejoicing, and that joy is contagious. Everyone is invited to celebrate because his son was once dead to him and is alive again. He was once lost, and he is now found. The story of the prodigal son is one of Jesus' most famous stories. And it's right, as it has been repeated and told again and again over the millennia, because it captures the Christian message perfectly. If you want to know what Christianity is all about, if you want to know what the gospel message is all about, then you have it here in this story. Because for centuries, for thousands of years, people have recognized that we connect with the younger son. The younger son, in, in a lot of ways, is all of us. We have all gone astray from God and his ways. We have all rejected his way of living. We have all treated God as dead and wanted to live our own way whilst also still enjoying the benefits of the gifts that he gives But when we recognize that we are a people in severe need of help, when we turn back to God, we find not an angry father who is waiting to whip us for our impudence. We find a father who is filled with compassion, filled with joy, that we would turn from our sins and turn to him in faith. And he welcomes us with open arms and joy. Jesus offers this welcome through him because it's, through Jesus, because he suffered and died in our place, that we can expect this sort of welcome from God. I know there are some here today and watching online, and you're a parent of a prodigal, or you've been grieved as you watched your son or your daughter walk away from faith, or maybe you know that they're just not living exactly that way. They're not living exactly for Jesus. Maybe you're the brother or the sister of a prodigal. You remember very clearly that moment, that conversation you had with them, where they said to you, I've had enough of the Christian faith. No more. Maybe your father and mother are the ones who have walked away. There is such hope in this passage for us. Hope that one day, the one you love will one day return back to God because you know that when they do, it will be a day of such joy. What do you do in the meantime? Notice how the younger son in the story came to his senses once he hit rock bottom. 
that it was in that moment that God gave him clarity to see his only hope was to return home. Now, this might be hard, and we never want our loved ones to suffer, but maybe your loved one needs to hit rock bottom before they clearly see their need for Jesus once again. Maybe we need to pray that God would wreck their lives to a point that they would see that they have no other hope but in God alone. A few years ago, I met a girl at the Ignite training conference. Her name was Tina. We were at the bookstore talking about books. I asked her uh, which church she was going to, and she mentioned that she had just restarted going back to church after a few years away. And I asked her what had happened in that time. And she shared with me that she had grown up in church her whole life, but at some point while at uni, she just had enough. At the end of the day, she realized she just wanted to live for herself. She just wanted to live her own way. And so she turned her back on church, she turned her back on God, and she turned her back on Jesus. It was going okay for a few years. She She was enjoying life, dating a guy, and life seemed fine. And then it all fell apart. And it ended with her boyfriend breaking up with her and struggling, her struggling with her uni work. And she realized one deep and dark night that the only person who had ever faithfully loved her was Jesus. Now, as she told this story, I remember my voice catching in my throat. Because only a few months earlier, one of my YF leaders was sitting in front of me, telling me she didn't want to go on in the faith. And I couldn't convince her. I couldn't convince her to press on. And here was Tina, someone who had went through something similar, and God had brought her back. And maybe we need to pray. Maybe we need to pray that God would wreck the lives of those that we love so that they would see, see their deep need for him. And maybe you're sitting here today or watching online and the story of the prodigal son is really personal to you because you are that prodigal. You know that you've long walked away from church and Jesus. Maybe you were part of a church for a long time. Maybe you grew up in church. Things are really hard and you haven't been for so long. Maybe you were a leader or even a pastor of that church. But the struggles of ministry and the difficulties of it all just made you walk away from the faith. It's been a long time since you turned to Jesus. Well, Jesus is calling you back today. He's saying, come home to your loving Heavenly Father. It's been so long You don't have to be afraid of anything. You can expect the loving arms of your Father in heaven waiting for you. And there is joy indescribable to be shared by those who turn back to God. Maybe you believe you've gone too far. Maybe it's been too long already. Maybe you've done and said things that are just too shameful. Or you're too embarrassed or fearful to admit how far you've strayed. You're scared. You're scared at the reception that you'll receive if you come back. Friends, don't be. The Father's joy at your return is a joy that we get to share as a church. As long as there is breath in you, it is never too late. As long as there is breath in you, now is the time to come back. Okay, if Jesus had ended the parable there... Uh, we would have a perfect trilogy of parables, primarily about the joy of repentance. But remember, in chapter 15, verse 11, we were introduced to two sons. Now, the younger son has taken up a lot of the airtime. Now Jesus turns us our attention back to the older son. Remember that Jesus is speaking to the grumbling Pharisees, men who just don't understand, who didn't understand why Jesus was enjoying the company of repentant tax collectors and sinners. So now Jesus turns our attention back to the older brother. 
And here we have the final sting in this parable. So we meet the older brother. He comes in from the fields after a hard day of work in, for his father. And as he gets closer to home, he, he notices a sound that is strange. It's unfamiliar. It's the sound of music and dancing. He, he hasn't heard that in months. What could be the meaning of this? Chapter 15, verse 25. Read with me again. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came near and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Notice the parallels here between the Pharisees and the older brother. The Pharisees saw Jesus dining and enjoying the company of repentant sinners, but they're standing on the outside, angry and grumbling that Jesus would entertain these sorts of people. Here in this parable, we have the oldest son outside, worked up and angry that he refuses to step foot into the house. So notice what the father does. Notice how the father has to come out to speak with him. The same directional movement the father made with the younger son. When he saw his younger son off in the distance, the father went out to meet him. And here the father sees the older son outside. And so the father goes out again to meet him. It's good, isn't it, that the father takes initiative. Father and son speak, and the first words we hear in the conversation from the older brother is from the older boy. And notice how self-centered are his reasons for his anger. Have a look at, uh, again, verse 28. His father came out and entreated him. Verse 29. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Notice how many times he says the word I. I served you. I never disobeyed you. I never, get a, I never got a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Notice also how he puts distance between himself and his father uh, and his brother in verse 30, calling his younger brother that son of yours. When the older brother speaks, he is not concerned about his father's honor and reputation. He is focused on himself. Don't I deserve to be celebrated? Haven't I been good enough? Where is the party in honor of me? This is a, this is a self-righteousness and a self-justification at the heart of the older brother. I have been good enough to deserve being celebrated. Now have a look at how the father responds. Verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now the father in this story is truly remarkable beyond any human father. He begins by reminding his self-righteous son of the grace that he has received. In verse 31, he says to, the father says to his son, you are always with me. The son had completely forgotten the privilege of having been in the presence of his father this whole time. And then again in verse 31, secondly, he says, all that is mine is yours. A powerful reminder that the older son has enjoyed all that belonged to his father by grace. And then in verse 32, the father says, I think the most important thing that the older brother needs to hear, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. It is right. It is appropriate because your brother was dead and is alive. He is lost. He was lost and he's now found. The older brother completely forgot this. He had completely forgotten his privileged position and the grace he has received. And very much like the Pharisees who had forgotten the immense privilege they had to access God in his word and to receive all of that by the sheer grace of God. And they had forgotten 
and all missed the heart of God's word. The gospel even found in the Old Testament that God was in the business of bringing a people to himself so that they might enjoy his presence. That people brought near to God would enjoy the joy that he has over his people. When Jesus sat down with those sinners and tax collectors, it was fitting that he was enjoying a meal with them. It was right to celebrate that they were turning from their sins and turning to Christ to follow him. And here were some self-righteous Pharisees grumbling that they were not being celebrated, missing how much they had already been blessed with, and then missing out on the celebration of repentance. As we come to consider what we are meant to do with this passage, I want us to notice one final thing about this parable that Jesus has told. Notice that the parable doesn't have an ending. It just suddenly stops. The father has spoken to his eldest son. He has invited his eldest son to join the party. He has told him it is fitting to celebrate the return of his younger brother. And we're just left with this picture of the older brother standing there, looking in. What did he do? What move did he make? We don't know. Jesus doesn't tell us. But we can work out that I think he had two choices. One, he could stand there and remain outside. Continue to stand there, angry in his own self-righteousness, which has so far done him so much good. But if he continues on, he would just be grumbling, even though he's been reminded of all that he has received by grace. If he remains standing outside, that would be an unbelievably dumb choice. Or he could soften his heart. He could accept what his father has said, that it is right and fitting and appropriate to celebrate, and then taking steps forward towards the house, enter the doors as the joyful music flooded his ears, the smell of the barbecue roaring away, seeing his younger brother and embracing him and sharing those joyful tears. Forgiveness, joy, rejoicing. Can you imagine? So which option did the brother choose? We're not sure. Now the cliffhanger ending is almost a way for Jesus to ask those listening, which would you choose? The self-righteous do not understand God's extravagant joy at the repentance of sinners. But the invitation remains, join the fitting celebration of those who repent. So how about you? Maybe there are some here today who are wondering what God is like. Maybe to you, God is a killjoy. Someone who is just there, who wants to load on you rules, all these rules, to kill all the fun in your life. Uh, your version of Christianity that you have in your head is one of just rules and rules and more rules that you can keep, that God is there keeping a ledger, and as long as you've done enough good, he will reluctantly let you into heaven, where apparently you sit on a cloud with angels' wings, uh, and if you're old enough to remember, eat Philadelphia cream cheese all day. That could be your picture. And maybe even over the past few weeks, as we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, and hearing some of the hard and challenging things has reinforced that idea. If that's you today, I want you to, to remember that all of that, all that we've heard so far is in this context, in the context of God's extravagant joy at the repentance of sinners. So will you join the feast? And for those of us who have been a Christian a long time, I think these parables are a gentle wake-up call. Don't lose that wonder of salvation. Don't lose the wonder of the salvation we've received. Don't lose that joy of hearing the news that someone else has been converted. Take the opportunities you have to hear stories of grace and rejoice and be glad in the work that God is doing and that Jesus is doing to save sinners. And look forward to that day. Keep looking forward to that day when we will see and experience our Father's joy face to face. Can you imagine that?
Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, you have told us this story for our joy. So help us to see that trusting and following your Jesus is worth it. Help us to not be on the outside and help us to remember that there are many religious people and religious types in this world who just don't understand the gospel, who don't understand why you would be happy with repentance. Please help us to remember that and to never forget. We do pray that for our joy and for your glory. In the most precious name of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, good day, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Q&A time. There's uh, one question that's come up so far. I'll keep an eye on the, um, on the live chat and the live feed just to see if there's any further questions. It's a great question. It says, hi, Steve. Thanks for the passionate sermon. Very fitting. Praise God for that. I'm just wondering how we hold together the high bar of discipleship that we've been learning over the past few chapters in today's passage. And I think that's right. It's, it seems like I think there's such a high bar of this. What it means to follow Jesus is rather high and costly and difficult and hard. And today's passage, I think, is there to say that it's not just all hard work. There is incredible joy in following him. Now, I think it highlights, it does that um, by highlighting how the Pharisees don't get it and how they don't um, rejoice in the repentance uh, of sinners as well. Uh, but I think it, the, passage, the passage's joy uh, is so saturating everything here to say that, yes, there is hard work in discipleship um, and we enter by grace uh, and we are fueled by grace as we keep doing these things, but it's not just all hard work. Uh, the joy of the Father as he, as he shares that with us in this passage, I think is there to fuel our desire to keep living for him and renouncing all to follow Jesus. As, as much we can. So I would say as we're reading this, this passage does come almost as a massive uh, breath of fresh air, uh, especially if you've been feeling the weight of the challenges over the past few weeks. Now next week he goes back and says something very challenging as well about money. Um, but again, I think it's all uh, there to say, that this passage is here to say, there's so much joy as we follow Christ, and there's so much joy as we not only follow him, but the Father's joy in, in, towards us too. So I think that's how that, it, that fits together. Maybe Ben can say something a bit more on that next week and how it all fits together as we wrap up our series in Luke. Uh, Ben's got the last sermon for next week. Uh, for now, it looks like the only question um, in, through all the channels I have. So thank you again for listening in uh, this week. And uh, God bless, and we'll see you next week.